Here comes Devereaux. Metembano! Oh, excuse me. I couldn't help but notice that you two groups of people are about to start killing each other, and I was wondering if you could please just wait on that until we could get off the train. Sit down, witch. Yeah, witch, sit down. Sit down. Are you gonna let him get away with that? Wait a minute. I was kidding. Uh, that was really rude. Uh, take it back. Apologize. Lad, stay out of this. He called you a witch. Brad, shut up! Hey, listen to the witch, Brad. <laughs> Watch your mouth. You, you big city scum sucker. You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Let me help. Don't fool with the lords of hell. Hey, everybody. It is the third Thursday of the month or after the third Thursday of the month, depending on when you're listening, which means it's time for another glorious episode of Nerd with Dre Alvarez and Jeff May. I am your co-host, Jeff May, and... I am Dre Alvarez, and I'm just going to say, like, I'm sitting over here distracted, Jeff. I'm listening to the amazing episode with you and Dan Larson that just dropped for free on Tuesday, Jeff. I, I might not be fully here. I might just have to keep listening to that instead of this. But funny point on that show, Jeff and Dan Larson this Tuesday discussed the sweet spot for nostalgia. And I believe you said the, the, the range is 1984 to 1987. That is an interesting range, Jeff. Do you know what came out in 1987? Uh, I think I do because we're recording a podcast about it right now. Oh, what, what would that be? Am I stealing Tom and Jeff watch Batman? I'm sorry. I don't want to steal your other bits. Listen to that too, Jeff. But what are we recording on? What is we, we're talking about adventures in babysitting, uh, the 1987 classic, uh, written and directed by Christopher Columbus. Not the, not the navigator. I think Chris Columbus, I think is yeah. the way he goes by it's That's his DGA name or whatever. Um, this is one of the most seminal films of my childhood. And it fits so perfectly in our theme of like base childhood neglect. Um, and, and also, you know, established America's crush on Elizabeth shoe, like really bumped up a little bit more past karate kid. A hundred percent. And what, what I'll throw out to you is um, I've said this a few times before, but shout out to friend of the show, Landon, uh, you can find on twitch.tv forward slash Rickster GT. You will be shocked to hear this, Jeff. His favorite scene in the movie happens in the mechanic shop. I bring this up because if you check out his site, Space to Bricks, that's D-E-B-R-I-X.com. Sorry to do plugs up top, Jeff. He has his game Radical Racers, which he built for fun. It is a racing game with a mechanic in it. So shocker that he likes that. He threw this out to me. He was like, I really liked Adventures in Babysitting. And he saw it in a bar um, that was, was doing its own nerd thing. Wait, 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 wait. He saw yeah. it in a bar. Okay, as an adult. So he saw it as a kid, fond nostalgia from a okay. kid, re-saw it as an adult at this bar, uh, which is called the Hollow Nickel. Lots of geeky stuff there, Jeff. We don't have time. People nice. look it up. That's your homework. They were doing their own nerd thing, Jeff, the, the, the trio. They had a babysitting night, which would make an excellent episode of nerd, but we don't copy here, so we can't do it. It was uh, Mr. Nanny, Adventures in Babysitting, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Great Solid movie. lineup. That's that's you know a plus. Would have been like, a great season for us. Being yeah. Well, and, well, I'm kind of glad he told me because then like we'd done it accidentally and get accused of plagiarism. We we're like, ah, oh, no, great minds. But he said he, he when he was a kid, he watched this at his grandma's house on VHS. You have brought up that kind of anecdote that your grandma, when you were a kid, would record stuff off HBO. The HBO bootlegger, baby. HBO Showtime, Cinemax, the the movie channel. She had them all. 
and you saw this. So that is, that is cool because I was going to say, you've said that I wasn't sure it applied to adventures and babysitting. You brought, you've brought that up before. So when he, when he said, could you make this an episode? I said, well, it doesn't fit into my theme of the, the season, but it might work. And that's when we went with parental neglect. And you are much more excited this than my original pitch. We might talk in the future. So this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to do this movie. So this movie, to put it very, relatively bluntly, this is the sort of apex of 80s, like, kind of like comedy. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It, it is a comedy, obviously, but it is a, a, a like a, a very fast pay. I don't know. It's insane, I guess is the best way to describe it. This movie is wild. I forget what the production company was, but it went over to Touchstone. So Disney took it. They weren't going to release it under the Disney um, emblem. Uh, so they, it was released on Touchstone, which is for more adult-themed stuff. Um, unfortunately, Adventures in Babysitting was ported to Disney+, and it was edited for television, basically. It's an interesting point because, you know, you get you get all these people. You couldn't make this nowadays. There were certainly edits now. The, the cursing, it, when it's straight cursing, it's hilarious. And that's actually going to sure. be the stinger for this because one of the most famous lines in this movie is there. there's a gang and they say, don't fuck with us. And Elizabeth Shue picks up a knife. Don't fuck with the lords of hell. Yeah. Don't fuck with the lords of hell. And Elizabeth Shue picks up a knife and says, don't fuck with the babysitter. And it is awesome. Don't fool with the babysitter does not land the same way. Not at all and it's okay so look they they pull out certain words obviously fuck is the main word they also pull the uh like the h word a homophobic slur uh a homophobic slur very early in the movie because you could just do that back then that was like they didn't care yeah um i don't necessarily they, they replace the that h word with weirdo um and that was you know that that would work perfectly when they release it on TV. Although, actually, to be fair, when they released it on TV, they probably use that word too. Um, and then the other sort of one that they really pull that is a one of the more memorable scenes from me. Um, but I understand why they pulled it because it's a horribly divisive word and something you shouldn't joke about. But when they're getting in the car to go, Elizabeth Shue goes, if you screw around, I will kill you. Dead, murdered. And then Daryl's character, Anthony Rapp, just goes, R-worded? <laughs> and that is, it's almost like, the, I was like, well, if you kind of pull that thing, if you pull that that joke, then that scene just doesn't mean anything. Like, there's no tag to it, so it just didn't work. But I also totally get why they pulled it. So I'm I'm of two minds of this experience where I'm like, yeah, of course you don't want that word in your Disney Plus show, obviously. And at the same time, I'm like, but then also you've kind of really damaged the scene. Well, um, what's what's what is what is great about this movie? I'll throw this out, Jeff is um, a lesson I've learned from all these episodes of Nerd is I do like the ten thousand foot view. Because uh, I realize, you know, we, we we do copy some of your other shows where you do a beat by beat. And in trying to think of one for this movie, this describes the movie. I was like, oh, there is no 10,000 foot view. It is literally Elizabeth Shue while babysitting, a bunch of hijinks ensue. You may as well just go beat by beat through the plot because trying to explain it at the top level yep. is really hard. So we, we will definitely be doing that today. But I mean, just I want to do not even a segment, just a point is 
This is another one of those movies. Now, for what it's worth, this was successful. Unlike Searching for Bobby Fischer, the first episode in the season of Childhood Neglect, which sadly, this, this, this makes me sad as a chess fan, Jeff. So clearly what happened and one of your fans noticed on the forum is Searching for Bobby Fischer was trying to copy Little Man Tate, which was this $10 million movie made with Jodie Foster. Were they trying to copy it? Because I was I, I, mentioned it and they were like, yeah, I did, I did, I'm just now realizing those are different movies. They are, but that's, well, but, but I looked that up. So that's what's interesting is basically, you know, I, I assume in Hollywood, what typically happens is when you pitch a movie, you say it's like blah and that gets you the budget and what they're looking mm -hmm. for. And so little man Tate was released before searching for Bobby Fisher. It is about a childhood prodigy. It does have a lot of the same issues. You know, should your kid go to a genius school? Should they have normal interaction parents versus experts that, you know, do they get the heart nurturing them versus the head, which was a theme that comes up. Made for about 10 million. Jodie Foster as the lead makes about 20 million. So it makes twice its budget. And, you know, then of course gets some good nods. So when searching for Bobby Fisher is coming out, they're going, okay, we'll give it a similar budget. Same kind of thing. A bunch of people looking for awards will go on it, make twice its budget, happy movie. And then it, it tanked it, it, you know, probably made its money back with VHS, but did bad. Whereas Adventures in Babysitting released in 87, this movie did well, $34 million. Well, and, and of course, um, this movie did, I'll put it this way. This movie did okay. What this movie did do was get a massive cult following on home video. Um, whereas like searching for Robbie Fisher did fine after the fact this, and this is sort of like one of the big conflicts going on right now. So as of recording, when we talk about the, the impact between like the producers and like, and I believe some more news just released, uh, an episode, um, about blockbusters and, and what's going on. And they address something that I was actually going to address here, which is studios didn't have to worry about box office. They didn't. They had to care about them, but they knew that they were going to recoup their expenses on physical media. Um, that is no longer an option. Physical media is no longer a thing. So they're going to broken systems to try to recoup that expense. And you know what? Honestly, just listen to some more news about it. You'll get a better description. Well, and then also, let, let's 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 make these let's let's make him a regular appearance on this season of Nerd. I'll have to figure out how to shoehorn him in in episode three. But Matt Damon. Matt Damon had a viral clip a few years back about that exact point, which is if you give someone a budget of $20 million for a movie and here's what they're expecting and here's the thing, the reason you're not seeing those $20, $30 million movies is because of the, the home media market. Yeah. And to your point, yeah, I mean, like Adventures in Babysitting, that, that title, uh, let, let's get to this. If you have not seen it, go look up the cover of Adventures in Babysitting right now. <laughs> uh, and Jeff, you Great. did the most Jeff thing because I looked it up and something that I must break you your show where you break packs of cards has really started getting me an eye for is art because you're going through these beautiful, you do comic book cards a lot. You just did, uh, let's see, you did some Batman recently. You yeah, did Marvel Saga versus of the Dark Knight. Yeah. And you're going through and you're like, oh, this looks like this artist. Uh, who was the hero you discovered on last one that we didn't realize? And then after the fact, realized he had passed uh, for Marvel versus DC. Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. I, I, okay. I forget the guy's name, but he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll maybe get the name later, but point is looking for it. So I looked up the, you know, the cover of this and like, was like, look to it, look to it was drawn by an, and shocker prolific, um, artist that's done lots of movie posters. Yeah, I could have told you who it was by if you had asked. And then I, then I said it to you, I said, this guy was prolific. And what was your response, Jeff, when I did that to you? Uh, I sent a photo of his appearance on one of my sideshow shows. And I was like, of course, yeah. of course, he's one of your friends, Jeff. Every And of course, we've mentioned that was part of the thing. 
you're uh, friends with uh, one of the leads of this show. You, you've talked to him before. Uh, Keith Coogan. Yeah, I uh, and I, I believe I sent you the photo of of Keith. Keith plays Brad um, and uh, really nice guy. I met him, I believe, at Comic-Con Palm Springs. Um, he was making an appearance. Uh, and uh, also it was uh, Orbic was the uh, artist, by the way. Yeah, and, and artists from fantastic from... artists, and that that I I always hate when that happens as a fan of art, when you discover someone new and you're like, this person is amazing. What are they up to? And it's like, oh, they've passed. And you're like, and you, it's it's weird. Glenn, it's weird Glenn to Orbic, miss someone yeah. you never met. You you never met them. You weren't even aware of them until like I mean, you probably saw some of their stuff, of course, but you weren't aware of them until five minutes ago, and then you're like, oh, and oh, and they're gone. Yeah. So like, that's not so, fair. My connections are obviously connected through the nerd world, through um, three of the people involved. Obviously, Drew Struzan, uh, he came in while we were filming an episode of Unsealed and Revealed, and we didn't know what was happening. And we were like, do you want to? And he came down and sat down and joined us for a second. And and my my co-host, the beautiful and wonderful soul that is Guy Clender, um, huge indie fan. And he he was like the expert, the toy expert. And he was like almost in tears thanking drew for like the designs of his childhood and stuff and so drew struz and i do have photos uh of me and him unfortunately it's in a setting that i don't particularly love anymore um but it is what it is now from there of course uh keith coogan very very nice guy um i here's the part here's the thing i met him outside of the con we were hanging out and I think it might be my height because I remember him being tall because I was a child watching him and he was close to an adult when he was in two babysitting movies, of course, Adventures in Babysitting and then Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Um, and I saw him wearing an Adventures in Babysitting shirt and this guy outside. So here's how the connection was made. He's wearing an Adventures in Babysitting shirt. And I was like, dude, I love that shirt. And I was like, where'd you get it? And he's like, I'm, I sell it. And I was like, where's your booth? And then the girl I was dating at the time goes, he's the guy on the shirt. Like she recognized <laughs> him, even though he looks, you know, very different because, you know, that so, was. So I had to do a brief steal and injection for my wife because it's a fun story. Yeah. I got tickets to a Colorado Avalanche game once. Uh, it was awesome. And part of that was like a meet and greet with the coach. Oh, nice. And and we went and did that. And I took care. And so I'm the big hockey fan. She's not. They did like, of course, they're in helmets. So you don't see them mm -hmm. in the middle of like thing. They had various avalanche players talking. So we're like just standing super far away. And my wife looks and she sees Ian LaPerriere, who they had actually given out a puck for at the game. And she's like, isn't he the guy? And I like waved at him and he came over. But it was the funny thing. We're like, I'm the big hockey fan. We're there. A Colorado yeah. avalanche guy is walking by. I didn't spot him and my wife did. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh, you, you outfanned me. That's fair. Sometimes fresh eyes happen. Yeah. Um, so, but so long story short, we ended up, I, I ended up being like, oh man, I really appreciate you. And I ended up buying a shirt from him and I forgot to bring it to this, but I have a adventures in babysitting eight by 10 signed by Keith to me. And then the Elizabeth shoe story is boils down to when I worked on, um, the taste the the show where I I ended up befriending Anthony Bourdain, and we filmed right across from NCIS. I want to say what's the one with um, Ted Danson in it. 
So I was on a golf cart with my boss, who's also a friend of mine, my friend Joe. He he now runs a site called The Illuminati. And he was like uh, the, the hashtag show. He was the one that sort of helped create it and produce it and everything like that. So he was my boss. And he would bring in all of us to work on stuff so we could be around each other. Really nice guy. We're driving by and he like waved at Elizabeth Shue. She's outside like reading a script. Dressed normal. Dressed like an actor, dressed to be a normal person. And he waved. She's like, oh, hey. And we're going by. And I looked at him and I was like, why are you waving at Elizabeth Shue? And he just goes, what? And I was like, yeah, you're just like waving at Elizabeth Shue and, and saying hi. Like, do you know her? And he's like, no, that's just some like medic lady that I know <laughs> that I've been talking to all week. And I was like, oh, man. Here's the thing. No, it isn't. That's an actor you've been talking to all week named Elizabeth Shue from The Karate Kid and Adventures in Babysitting and Cocktail. Back to the Future too, And The Saint. But, uh, and he's just like, really? And I was like, yeah, man. Like that's, and he's just like, oh my God. And he, like, he immediately like froze up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very funny, cause I was like, I could pick her out from a crowd because I was in love with her since 1987. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Everybody was. Yeah. But so this movie is great, but it is very Mad Libs. You do, you can't predict where this movie is going. Every setting that they enter is very hard to predict. I've got a question for you about that as at a, before we get going to the plot, because, you know, I've, I've kind of noted that you are like an architect of story, that you are a very nerd person. We've discussed that a lot in the show that you do like deconstructing narrative and that's where you'll have problems with stuff. I, I had never seen this movie, much like Dan Larson, who you can listen to on Jeff Has Cool Friends, right in front of this one. Sometimes I'll give this bit of advice to people. Sometimes your RSS reader, like I have a downcast, if you've got it set to only keep the most recent, you might miss an awesome episode in front. So if like you were busy this week and you opened up your downcast on Thursday, I'm telling you, go back to Tuesday. Go back yeah, to Tuesday. two days ago, yeah. What I'll throw out is Dan had never seen this. I'd never seen this. So I watched this with like fresh eyes. I found it interesting that from a narrative perspective, I really liked this movie. And in that, it did something that I'll, I'll steal a line from The Incredibles. Uh, Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles, said his thesis for the movie The Incredibles, the Pixar movie, was the fantastic mixed with the mundane, right? You've got these superheroes fighting like a big monster, but in the middle, they're having marital problems, right? You've got this guy that is doing stakeouts with his friends. Well, you know, he's dealing with paying the bills at home. This is very, probably Jack Kirby, but Marvel, you know, Stanley can take credit, but whatever Marvel was doing back in the day, a lot of what they did. And I found this movie did that really well, almost like you're saying Mad Libs improvisational style, like give us two words and we'll go next, but going, we're going to have a very grounded reason for these people to get to A, and then we're going to elevate that level to 11. And then we're going to bring back the temperature down by doing something else. And I actually just like watching it was like, this is really well done for how batshit this movie is from like a script writing perspective, from giving um, motivation to characters, from how you move the plot along. The plot is really moved well. along miraculously well. And I say miraculously because it's not particularly, it's unpredictable and in a way where you're like, come on, like, no, you wouldn't do this. But 
Yeah, that's why it's a movie and not interesting. Uh, well, well, and, like, and let's get to. And by the way, it, I'll I'll throw I'll finish up like the Jeff MDB is what I was joking. Yeah. About. Like a lot of old movies in the eighties, this movie is stacked because of course it's got Elizabeth Shue, Anthony Rapp, who goes on to just be like I think first in the I you know first in Rent and then does the movie as well and just freaking amazing. One of my favorite Currently stories on about Star him. Trek Discovery. Yeah, there's a lot of Star Trek people. On and this I mean, too. he and was also it's. The very important thing about Anthony Rapp is that he's kind of the one that blew the whole lid off of the Kevin Spacey thing. That's wild. That's like he's it's, one it's of sucked. the vic- he's one of Kevin Spacey's yeah. victims. Yeah, that sucks so much. And but, but I mean, and I we've made this joke about other shows, including Searching for Bobby Fisher. But like, this is an IMDb trap. If you're like, I've never heard of that movie, and you go and you start clicking on the headshot, you're like, he's in this, they're in this, she's in this, et cetera, et cetera. So like, Anthony Rapp is that. Um, a big one that you brought up was Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays like I, I joke to my friend. Thanks I said, yeah. I said he is a He-Man Kingpin Thor because he goes on to play the Kingpin. He originally, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that nerdy stuff in a second. But so he's there. You know, George Newbern is in this as Dan, um, and then of course it was it was so hard for me, Jeff, because he goes on to voice Superman in Justice League. So at the end of the movie, I was hearing you and Tom's voice making fun of Superman at the end of the movie. Uh, which I don't think people on the first watch through got, which is just ridiculous. And then like another big name, Bradley Whitford, who <laughs> is sad because I know him as the scumbag dad on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, uh-huh. He's done a bunch of other stuff. He like he uh, Billy Madison he, stuff, not Eric well, on Billy he, Madison. Well, uh, he, but that's the other thing. So many of these actors, if you're like, I know them from this and you go, really not from this, you're like, oh yeah, they did that too. But I guess what I'm pointing out is the age discrepancy because in this movie, he plays the smarmy boyfriend, whereas on... Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he plays the swarmy dad, and you're like, oh, man, I'm old. That's what happens when 30 years pass. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, this this is him, like, origin story, because Bradley Whitford, throughout his life, smarmy, smarmy antagonist. Yeah. Like, he nails that role. We he nails sarcasm. It's, it's very Vince Vaughn-y of, like, you know, he's going to be landing very similar roles, and he's going to do it well. Um, My favorite sort of like ditch character has to be penelope and miller and the note i had for this is this is a hundred percent the um chris evans in in um the she's all that parody right oh she's got glasses on yeah Yeah, it's like paint on her overall yeah so yeah she's the nerdy best friend who goes on to be like the smoke show girlfriend in movies like the saint yeah but penelope and miller was just hot at the time anyway yeah the irony in this is that the biggest star at the time might have been Keith Coogan. Interesting. He was very active at this time. He was like, if you had a teenage boy in anything, it was going to be him. Like he was like, like a pre Fred Savage in that regard that like they were going to him. He was Todd and the Fox and the Hound. If you look at his IMDB, that kid was busy at the time and uh i just find that fascinating of course elizabeth shoe you know she was in karate kid and that was just a runaway smash um but i i find it real i find this really really interesting that the cast is very very talented and uh of course the um the sarah the actor that played sarah ended up going to shows like my two dads and then step by step um and i believe she's a lawyer now and uh i think she's married to sarah spots i think is the thing who is another like hollywood name so it's one of those you know did it for a while then left and then 
Sarah Spots is like a big producer on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so this movie very formula very formulative. Um, there the the it's I guess the easiest way to to put this is like the A plot and the B plot. The B plot pushes the A plot. So oh, that makes it's a little bit different in that the B plot is you have Brenda trapped at the bus station, kind of screwed, right? She went to the city. It's very scary. She's a suburban kid. And there is a big thing about sort of suburban versus urban, like how scary cities are. Um, it is, uh, you know, it is Chris Columbus. So it is, you know, Chicago and then the suburbs of Chicago, um, you know. So Penelope Ann Miller's character having run away is the catalyst for why everything has happened. So we periodically check in on her hijinks. Meanwhile, the actual movie is happening and that's the stuff we care about. I find that interesting. Is that not, I mean, it's interesting to try and think of other movies. I mean, the the big one that this seems super similar to is like Ferris Bueller's Day Off of just like, oh, they're doing a thing. And like yeah. the motivation yep. for the thing is kind of meh. And the big thing is these two people on an adventure that just keeps going to wild locations and getting into weird. Sure, but, but the motivation is actually, and I guess in a way you are kind of right because the B plot of that movie is the principal, the child porn criminal. Oh, yeah, that's uh principal voice actor on Justice League a couple times yeah, too. Getting Mama. into nightmarish scenarios while trying to deal with their thing. And that's what Brenda is doing as well. So I guess it's not an uncommon, especially for in the 80s. I just I find it very refreshing that it's not like, oh, these two plots will eventually meet up. It's that this plot is literally moving this plot forward. And that's the catalyst. And yeah, it's kind of it's very Star Wars-y back and forth, but then they're actually more related. Yeah. And let, let's get to it. So what I'll say, you're a monster, Jeff. We're going to start in the opening scene. The opening scene's purpose is like, if you were not in love with Elizabeth's shoe before, you're going to be in love with her now. Absolutely. It's her, it's her lip syncing to And Then He Kissed Me by the band called The Crystals. I don't know if it's intentional. The character's name is Chris. Songs The Crystals. Just cute, but whatever. And what's... What is a nice combo is it is a very wholesome oldie song that she is doing a combination of very sweet, in some cases, childlike dancing to mixed with adult thing. And the implication we're getting, if and tell me if I'm reading this wrong, is she ends on the bed looking back and she says, this is going to be the greatest night of my life. So she's going to get it. Yeah. So basically the implication is this is going to be the first time her and her boyfriend have sex. It's an anniversary date. And then, of course, what Jeff did with that is you said, oh, yeah, modern thing. It'd be like, drive me crazy. She's dancing to him. Put that on your Instagram. And you ruined an amazing scene. Well, yeah, because it was uh, 24 years. The song that she was uh, lip syncing was 24 years old at the time. Um, so, you know, the song was from 1963. And so I was like, well, shit, what would she, if that was filmed today, what song would it be? And then I went, I, I was like, what was 24 years ago? Oh, the year I graduated high school. Oh, good um, God. Which that's a way to age me. Um, something that you might not have picked up about this um, is that by establishing in the beginning of this that this 17-year-old girl is accepting that she is a woman now, she actually gives a lot of verbal hints that that's what, the, what is happening here. She keeps referring to Brad, who is only two years younger than her, as just a kid. She keeps saying, you're just a kid. You're a little kid. You're, you're just a little kid. When in reality, 
they're practically the same age. And then we find out later, spoiler alert, that when she catches her boyfriend cheating, he basically is cheating because she will not sleep with him, which was the thing she intended to do that night. I my the joke comment I made in this is that was real, real Drew Barrymore energy there. Like right. you broke up with her the night before, but of course, you know, he sucks and yeah. Yeah. And he and oh so this starting dance um thing, right? Uh Elizabeth Shue, I'm watching this and I'm like, there's no way she's 17. 23 when this movie was, was 23. And that's important to me because she is also like not necessarily well she is sexualized that's one of the one of the macguffins in this is that there's a playboy that is literally they did a shoot with elizabeth shoe wearing clothes by the way she was very yeah. she did not want to do that they did a shoot with her and made her like like the playboy playmate was her doppelganger um but every time people talk to her they're always like no you're much more beautiful than her and it's all adults that are saying like no you're way hotter uh, you're way hotter than this playmate. And you're sitting there and be like, this is still a child though. Um, so that, that is interesting. Um, but she's so, she's so beautiful in the, in this scene. She's absolutely stunning. And then we get the doorbell and it is, uh, Brad pulling up in his so cool red. Oh, it's, it's a Mike is Brad is Mike. his real name. And oh, yeah, Mike sorry, is Brad the character name. Yeah. yeah. Mike shows up, cancels. I got plans. My daughter, my sister is sick. My parents are gone. I can't go out. We'll do it next time. And then she now, now and it, then he kind of gives away the game. We get the implication that she probably catches it because she's like, well, just come over. We'll make soup. And he's like, ah, she's contagious. And then he doesn't want to kiss her because she's contagious. And you're like, yeah, like, and, yeah. And, and it's worth noting. He plays it well. So it comes across as like something's up. And then the immediate next scene is her hanging out with her friend, Brenda. And she's like, literally is like, doing the paranoid thing where we're, we're like, yeah, no, you're right. There's something off there. It is very funny to me to see two people. And especially because remember like people in the eighties looked naturally looked older than people do now at the same age. There have been plenty of YouTube things explaining like, did people in the past actually look older? And it's like, yes, they absolutely did. Um, so they both clearly look almost 30. <laughs> like Elizabeth, she was 23 playing 17. But in reality, if you were like, she is 28 years old, I'd be like, she sure is. Yeah. She looks like a, a modern 28 year old. And Bradley Whitford looks 32. And like, I know he's a, he's playing a teenager and he probably was in his early, early twenties, but he looks, he looks so to be, he looks exactly the same as he did. Like in happy it, Gilmore. Yeah. It, well, I was going to say in, um, in friggin' uh, the West Wing, like the hairline has receded slightly back. It's wonderful. Nobody cares. Everyone looked, you know, seventeen-year-olds looked twenty-five back then anyway, so that's fine. He is from Madison, Wisconsin. So shout out Bradley Whitford. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. fifty-nine. And, so he was twenty-eight at the time of that movie. Yeah, twenty-seven probably during filming. Which, to be fair, he might not have been a high school kid. He might have been a 25 year old dating a 17 year old mad. Yeah, know. we, we don't, it doesn't matter. So, um, next scene is, uh, Chris is, is talking to her friend, Brenda, you know, just the randomly, randomly glasses and, you know, oh, she's frumpy yeah. looking, but clearly beautiful. Frumpy Penelope. I, I'll be fair. Like Penelope and Miller, one of the 
most beautiful actors at the time and they're like put her next to elizabeth shoe and put some glasses on her and you will think she's ugly and like kind of like like when you see her in that scene you're like what's elizabeth shoe doing hanging out with this one and then like you see her alone you're like this is a very beautiful girl and then what i'll what i'll throw out is there's a weird subplot that never ever gets resolved and i'm curious your read on it because essentially she's hanging out with her saying she is so fed up with her stepmother to the point that she might feed her Drano. Then she says, I've got to go home and deal with it. Then she runs away from home. Then at the end of the night, she doesn't want to go home. Sorry, spoilers. They do get home. End of the night, she gets home and Chris is like, you got to just go home. And I'm like, she's like, I don't want is... to. And it's like, I'm like, I'm like, what's what's going on at Brenda's house is every she's threatening to kill yeah. her stepmom. She ran away from her stepmom. Should we be looking into that? But the movie, by the way, does not care. She getting beat or is she just a, a, a teenager? But I think what that is really coming down to and um, what we actually see very quickly is that Brenda is an impulsive teenage girl. That is say, that is very dramatic. How dramatic? Dramatic enough to go away to a bus station and continue to have dramatic experiences. Now, granted, she is getting traumatic experiences happening to her, but it all comes from this sense of impulse that she is very needy and very impulsive. She's a very teenage girl mentality. So so Brent, Brent, so then what ends up happening in that scene is uh, Chris's mom comes in and is like, the so-and-sos, I should remember their last name, but I don't, but the kid she's going to be babysitting, she said, they just called to see if you can babysit last minute. Um, and it's very, they, they do, when I'm talking about well-written- by the way. Andersons. They, it, they do well-written throughout this movie, despite it being fantastical. This is one where they, you know, do the cheat because she's like, I'm too old to babysit. I'm not going to babysit. Flash cut to she's in the car, clearly going to babysit. And I'm like, ah, we'll get, we'll give you that one to start the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's a woman now. That's another part of it. Yeah. Babysitting is a kid's job. It's a teenager's job. She's a woman. She's accepted that she is a woman now. Um, and so that is part of it. That is, she's just like, that's a kid's job. She, she continuously keeps saying, I'm a grown-up. I'm an adult, and these are children. These are children. I'm an adult. I'm above this because I'm an adult. When in reality, we're watching her be like, 17 is a child. Like, yes. We, you know, we get that. So um, then we meet sort of the, the, the Andersons. The Andersons are, Brad and Sarah are the two we're going to care about. Um, and then the parents, who are just the most oblivious, waspy. Probably, they probably do so much cocaine. That would have been funny if that was what was going on. We meet him later at the party. And by the way, I'll throw this out. This, this fat rails of Coke. Yeah. The the Simpsons later does a very similar episode where like Lisa babysits Bart and then it's just like gets Bart into a bunch of trouble. And the end of the night, the parents find out and she's like, oh, no, you're fired. And they're like, you're back next week. And like, that was the funny thing at yeah. the end of the movie. She's like, I'm going to be in so much trouble because spoiler alert, like the, one of the kids ends up hanging off the side of a building, which is on the poster. And I'll tell you, those parents, if she's available next weekend, they'll they'll, they'll take it. 100%. Yeah, they, yeah. They, those they, these are some latchkey kids, if I've ever seen them. At least they get a babysitter, right? So, um, Brad is in love with Chris. Chris is the senior in high school. He is the sophomore. He's in love with her. Um, finds out she's coming. He's supposed to be sleeping at his friend Daryl's, who's Anthony Rapp. Daryl is the color. Daryl is the comedy character, um, and he's a perfect character. He's just perfect. He's well, I'll throw this out too. Like when Keith, like I've read some interviews with Keith Coogan about it, where he he originally interviewed for Daryl and then you know got pushed yeah. to Brad. And he was just like, 
Anthony Rapp is is like is like no. He's like he is per he's like perfect, perfect. I agree. But he got to be a little bit of Daryl in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, where he got to play a dirtbag in Kenny. Um, so he did get to play that, but he was usually the clean cut straight man. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he got to flex a little bit in 1991 when when he revisited that. But so yeah, Anthony Rapp, just so good, sharp, hilarious, playing like the perfect horny teen um impulse pure id you know brad is sort of super ego and uh and you know uh daryl sarah is, the little four daryl is just id oh um, gotcha i thought you were gonna talk to sarah these are the two different the, you know you have the honorable you know you shouldn't be saying that and then the like the the impulsive whatever and there are parts where daryl prods uh brad to do some very dangerous things which is very funny <laughs> So they basically blah blah blah. She's stuck babysitting them. Uh, we find oh, important one. One important Sarah, thing I'll, I'll throw out is oh, you were about to talk, Sarah. That's a massive Thor fan. She's obsessed with this character, um, and she is basically like she steals Brad's clearasil because she ran out of brown paint, and it's like all this stuff about like you know she's obsessed with this character. She draws him, she paints him. She's the hero. It is very funny because. Every time she talks about Thor, it seems like there's only like a slight understanding of what Thor actually. And, and you know, part of that, which I, I got to give huge props to Chris Columbus, the director. So on the first script of the movie, Thor was going to be He-Man. Same exact idea. And I mean, to be fair, it looks a lot alike. You know, you've got like an Adonis looking person with blonde hair and a symbolic weapon. She was supposed to be obsessed with He-Man. Chris Columbus came in and said that was one of his one changes is he wanted it to be Thor instead. I love this so much, Jeff. And while I have done cards for most episodes of Nerd in the last two, I'm not doing this. I'm telling you that ahead of time because it would be so fun. 1987 is the first series of Marvel cards that has the Thor rookie card. 60 bucks a pack at minimum. Are you sure? 1987? Yes. 1987. There, there weren't some 1960s. Ooh, um, okay. Well, you I don't know if there were. Okay. Jeff, Marvel's, Marvel series one by Impel came out in 1990. There were card sets. Before that, yes. Yeah. And I believe there's one that came out in 1966. Okay, fans, check it. But I was going to say, what, what makes this fascinating, right, is we've talked we've talked He-Man on the show. He-Man was kind of at his apex. You talked Dan Larson with this as well. And basically, Chris Columbus pulled, like, one of the biggest names that is about to go on one of those precipitous drops. Oh, yeah, 1987 is the end. Is yeah. the end of He-Man and picks Thor, who is, and I mean, rightfully so, kind of, I think the logic he probably had is, She's obsessed with this character and everybody thinks it's kind of weird and it does end up, pay, it ends up paying off at some point. So he wanted to pick, he's like, I don't want a super popular character. I want a, a known character that she would have access to, but I don't want him super known. But he basically picked Thor, like he, he sold He-Man at the peak. He bought Thor at the dip. And then of course, now we look 30 years later, Thor is iconic and everywhere. And He-Man, you, you know, it's still known, but yeah. I'm going to add a little bit of extra color here. This was also the time period when the greatest Thor works were being made. Um, specifically, this was for four years. Uh, Walt Simonson was the one taking care of Thor as far as uh, being a writer and artist. And I know he was at least a writer. This is where he created Beta Ray Bill right around this time. Um, this is considered the seminal period of Thor is 1983 to 1987. 
but none of that is addressed in this, which I think is really interesting. Basically, Thor is a cameo from Chris Columbus. It was it wasn't like Kevin Smith when he was writing um Kyle Yugly, like the first pass, and is really well known, like knows the Punisher lore and no this is the opposite where it's going. The whole premise is this kid's obsessed with a big tall blonde guy. Later on in the movie, she meets a big tall blonde guy. She acts like this and warms his heart. That is really the crux of that Thor obsession. Um it doesn't end up mattering in this movie, but it is like a nice cameo from the director who was a huge Thor fan. Yeah. And Sarah is an imp. She's a, an, a mischievous imp in this. She runs around and she doesn't really necessarily care who is harmed in her way. Um, she acts on impulse, again, very id based. Um, you know, she leaves roller skates around. You know, Brad almost fucking breaks his neck. Um, coming down from that, um, there, there's a part where she abandons the group several times, actually, during the, during the movie, she abandons them. Um, she throws Brad under the bus about his crush on Chris immediately. She's like, if you don't take back what you said, I'll tell Chris about all those love poems you write about her. And he's like, fine, I take it back. Thor's not a weirdo. Oh Uh, yeah. That was, he said something else. You can, you can, uh, I listen, I listen to both. I listen to the Amazon I rented it on Amazon for the full version. And I watched the Disney Plus. It's not that noticeable. And that's the funny thing. If you listen to Disney Plus first and go to Amazon, they are jarring when they pop up. Yeah. And then she immediately goes, hi, Chris. You get to yada yada a little bit of the beginning as the parents are leaving and they're they're like settling in. Brad's going to go to Daryl's, but uh, he's decided he's not going to. So Daryl's harassing him. And then finally, she gets the call from Brenda. I got to go. She's like, Brad, can you please please watch Sarah. I have to take care of her. Absolutely not. Well, Sarah's the, this is Sarah being impish because Sarah's like, he can't watch me. Clearly she's yeah. poking fun at both they all of want, them. They all want to go. They all, they all will just, they want to go with her to the city. And she's like, it is a fucking dangerous thing. Absolutely not. And they're like, we will narc you out immediately. So instead of the same thing one of her friends, room. yeah, Oh, to take it and be like, look, I need you to do this. I have to go get Brenda or you have to go get Brenda. Somebody's got to go get Brenda. Instead of that, she's just like, fine, let's go. Daryl joins the fellowship by also threatening blackmail. And uh, he also brings up the playboy and says, I stole this from my dad. How exciting is that? They and all get thrown out the window early on because that becomes important because there is a playboy where the playmate of the month. Does look is well, it is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shoe, but it's Elizabeth in, Shoe, yeah. in storyline looks like Elizabeth Shoe gets lost immediately. Daryl's out of Playboy. How are we going to replace it? Will this get addressed? Of course, this is this movie again. One of the reasons I really like it is it is very much I've heard classic movie is and th- this happens right. A causes B. If you're writing a good movie, A causes B. You never want to do A then B. You want to do A happens then B. This is 101 stuff, I am aware. And the other thing is, of course, the Chekhov's gun, right? You introduce something into the thing. Chekhov's playboy. Yeah, yeah, Chekhov's playboy, Chekhov's Thor hammer. You go, why are you spending time with this? It's not to say you can't ever have like things that don't matter, but it's usually if you're going to spend time in something on a story, 101 level writing says, make sure that that matters to the story. Otherwise, you might be wasting time. Yes. So they're on the expressway. And then what you just described is what I was about to say. Throws out the playboy. And shows it to him. Then Sarah's telling like a story. Babysitters inside the house. Man with the hook. Scrape, scrape, scrape. Kills the kids. They blow a tire. And a they're now in the city. They don't have a spare. And she also forgot her purse. So they're screwed. 
then we see uh, Dawson's tow truck come out and we see what is essentially a terrifying man get out of he is uh goes by the the name handsome john pruitt he's a big gruff scary guy with a hook hand he's actually just a really nice dude and he's like you got onto the expressway you didn't have a spare tire you have no money and she's like i'm i'm screwed and he he they treat him like he's a psychopath well uh, to be fair as you're noting the hook hand writing 101 she is telling a scary story. And for whatever reason, in the 80s, the hook hand, the hook on the windshield, that was oh, a popular one. Yeah. Yeah. So she's internet, telling Maybe they loved it. Yeah. So basically it's going, she was just telling the kids about a scary hook hand ghost story she knew. And then a creepy guy with a hook hand shows up. Not super logical, but they all freak out. And then she even calms down. She's like, yeah, sorry. We were really scared. Thanks yeah. so much. And he's like, I'm used to it. But she, and she, because she's like, please don't kill us basically. And he's like, no, I'm going to buy you a tire. And she's like, you don't have to do that. He's like, what else are you going to do? Like, you don't have an option. So he gets them in the car and he's he's driving them there. And we get a call from from Dawson of Dawson's garage saying, drove by your house. And he's like, and who'd you see? He's like, you don't want to know. He's there. And all of a sudden, this guy goes wild. He's driving his car crazy fast. Elizabeth Shue's looking back at her a car being like that's my mom's car please don't destroy it can you please slow down he will not he look goes over to the glove compartment opens it and one of my favorite lines he goes and with his hook he grabs a gun and starts pulling it over and daryl has his eyes closed and he goes is it a hand and brad goes no and he goes oh good he goes it's a gun he goes oh god and that that interaction is so good. Is it a hand? No. Oh, good. It's a gun. Oh, God. It's so great. It's so perfect. Guy shows up, finds out his wife is having an affair, shows up to kill the guy. So maybe he is not. He's a nice guy, but also he's a, a he's a hero the entire movie and also an unhinged maniac. And I love that about this. Like every time he shows up, He's good while he's doing crimes. Like he escapes. Yeah, them. he does. Show, he shows up one more time later. And then, yeah, he's running from the police at the end of that. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely great. Like really fantastic stuff. Um, so uh, they go and hide in a Cadillac. They, Not the they, most logical, but does make sense. It's, 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 it's going to move the yeah. plot along. Yeah. I think they're just trying to find a place where they're not going to get shot. And they get in a red Cadillac. There's already somebody in it. He drives. Well, the thing is, is the cheating guy is running to it. So it's his car. So, oh, no, he's going to bust in, which is part of the funness, because yeah. then what happens is it's at uh, Joe Gibb, is I think is the character's name that uh, ends up doing it. Then Joe it turns Gip, yeah. Joe Gibb, played by Calvin Levels. Awesome name. Uh, so basically, he's coming to he's like, get out of my car. They're freaking out again. Car peels out. They look forward and it's getting driven off. And Elizabeth Shue, she, to your point of being like, I'm a woman now while still just having a nice naivete of a child, is just like, thanks so much, mister. Thanks for getting us out of there. And the other people in the car, like Brad, is just like, he's stealing, he's stealing. He's stealing the car. And she's like, can you please let us out? And he's like, here? No. And that is, um, by the way, I, I, that is 100% accurate. I've had some friends who like went to University of Chicago, and that they've noted that is the funny part of Chicago, is that you can basically have the University of Chicago, which is... We meet them later in the movie. These like preppy, waspy, well-off kids. And you go like two blocks over and it's like 
get the hell out of here right now. Bro, have you heard of Shango. New Haven, Connecticut? Yale Same. is an island in a cesspool. Um, so yeah, the classic, yeah, the classic rich yeah. college in the middle of like a bad area. So th- th- this, this act that actually tracks where he's just like, he's like, I am a car thief doing crimes and there is no way I'm letting you out here. And, and even would, I'm it, still like, no, but he, so he takes him to a chop shop though, which also is not going to be good. And we meet the villains of the film um, because it is a very well organized or organized crime group they're they're dealing cars they they're having a meeting and they basically all the kids are like hi we're gonna go and they're like you sure aren't you're gonna tell you're gonna tell people where we are and they're like and it's funny because part of it should be them just being like we're kids we don't know where we are we have no idea where we're going we just want to get home and like i'd think that anybody in that scenario in a non-movie setting would be like, get these fucking kids out of here. But also I understand that they're like, well, we don't want to get found out just in case this kid's like, I, I think kids of a cop. the way I've described movies a lot is it's, it's almost like a magic trick yeah. because there always has to be a level of silliness to the movie where you're like, Oh, if that didn't happen, then the movie doesn't happen. Yeah. And where movies get bad is you're like, that is ridiculous. You are clearly just, you know, Palpatine has come back from the dead. And you're like, just try, do something. <laughs> and so I think movies where it's the nice level is where when you look back, when you're doing what two nerdy 40-year-olds are doing and looking back at the movie and going, wait a minute, does this make sense? The question is, while you're watching it in real time, you're like, oh yeah, it makes sense. It's going, they're here, the criminals are like, put them in that room. The Brady we'll Bunch upstairs. Beautiful impression. His oh, voice is so good. That is John Davis Chandler as Bleak. So awesome. Absolutely. He nailed it, by the way. He's so Just, every time he's involving himself with other people, that character is a delight. And then there's also Joe, who's like the sort of middleman between mean boss and, you know, low end car thief of um, Gip. Is it Joe is the other guy? There's Ron Canada is the guy who ends up stuck on the building. OK, yeah. Never and then mind. there's I, I don't remember the guy. One of the things we'll bring up is the guy who drinks the bad. Co- I don't know all of their names. I'm looking at like the top. No, that, that you know, the top building expert. runs out. But yeah, so basically in a chop shop, big deal going on. Kids are put in an again. Does it like this is where in hindsight, it like, doesn't make a ton of sense. But we'll give it to them. They're like stick them in the office. We'll deal with them later. Turns out the office has a bunch of confidential papers, including a Playboy with a bunch of records written on it. So while they're doing this deal, the kids are like, we are screwed, rightfully so. How do we get out of here? This is one of the only parts of the movie I was like, ah, that's out of my league. But they're like, we can climb up out of the window out of this office because it's in a warehouse. So, it, you know, it's not a real office. It's like on the upper scaffold. Yeah. We can climb out the top. There are beams across. And then there is a beam to an exit out the, out the roof. Yeah. And we'll, we'll go from there. A dangerous like, but doable walk. It's a balance beam walk. Yeah. It's is yeah, if, if you had watched that, I was like, nope. I mean, it would have been the Matrix for me. But the kids are doing that. And then of course, Daryl sees that the Playboy with the same centerfold is on the table, takes it to get back. And this is going to be the crux of our plot because for whatever reason, the head villain, the bleak, um, wrote a bunch of notes about the car deals in there, claiming, you know, this is one of the few cases of tell don't show. Where the character later says that could put us away for 20. So the kids, and this is what I was saying about it being the MacGuffin, by the way, is like, this is the, the thing that they're going to be chasing after. And they don't even know that they're being chased for it. And as, and of course we have the like awkward scene. So Joe Gipp as a character, the carjacker 
has this very interesting, we have a couple of these, right? These morally gray characters, him and handsome Pruitt that are there to help the kids, but also do questionable things themselves and also seem kind of like spectators where they're it's, kind of watching this going on and like, this is interesting. Let, let's see what happens. It is a, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, good. Yeah. It is a, I think a smart way to establish that the people, the things you think of when you think of quote, the city, right? Uh, it's like very black and white. That's that's happening right now. You know, we we always make the joke that, you know, you know, white rural people are afraid of the concept of cities where the reality of it is when you get there, it's like there are good people. There are even good people that don't have great jobs. There are good people that even do crimes. There are at the time, 1987, there are good people that smoke marijuana like what they're establishing is like the world is a lot grayer than these kids think. It's really funny because this just showed up with you and Dave Bell, um, I think, on a strike cast. But what I love about Joe Gipp is he is essentially a low-level employee for this crime rig. Yeah, he's labor. And, and he's like, keeps just like, kind of like laughing at the bosses and kind of ignoring them and stuff. And it's one of these cases where he's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to fire me? Like, whatever. Because I think Dave was bringing that up. He's like, you know, sometimes you work these menial jobs. You work at a Target, a Toys R Us a fast food place, you go through a major rush, the rush is over and you're like, I'm out. And the boss is like, you're not supposed to do that. And you're like, or what? Yeah. And so Joe Gibb has, Joe Gibb has that energy, this entire he's movie. He's a little where... too chill to be hundred percent honest. Cause these are men that have guns. So like, I don't know what the retirement plan is when you work for organized crime, but like, there's a good chance they might just shoot him in the face. I would also like to add that he is weirdly reminds me of a uh, gender bent Whoopi Goldberg. Like they have, I can see it. he has a male version of her voice that like that kind of like drawn out slightly raspy, but very cool and calming voice that like, not like, like he talks like Guinan. Like it, it's fascinating. Adventures in babysitting, but Guinan is time traveling Guinan is the car thief I I am here for. It. But yeah, so the scene is right. They're walking across. Joe Gipp is just watching us kind of like in bemusement. Nobody's noticing. One of my only complaints of the movie, although you, you kind of explained it is they're on this beam that has rust or dust on it. And Elizabeth Shue's character knocks on it. Movie magic. It falls perfectly into the coffee cup of one of the, the villains. He lifts it up to drink it. We're like, are they caught? And a lot of this movie has scenes like that. Don't look. Are you going to look up and see what's going on behind? Yeah. There's a scene going on. There's hijinks in the background. Very, as you're noting, like very slapsticky. He drinks it. It's like, hmm, I like it and moves on. And I was like, no, you're not going to like rust. But the kids do manage to escape. But I'll be more dust at that point than rust. Yeah. But, uh, but, it, are... it's, but it's also a good statement of like how bad the coffee is. Where are you guys? Yeah. Um, but um, they're about to escape. But then, of course, as discovered, one of the villains is like, I need the playboy with the notes. Go into the office. He goes into the office. The kids have escaped. Well, there's, oh, no, the kids... there's also something that you, you're you glossing over. He's like, go get it. He's like, I brought it into the office. And he goes, why? And he's like, oh, for the article. He's, yeah. They, they, yeah and he clearly joke. was J&O to the, to the playboy, which is very funny. That the, the I forget the, the middle management guy who's... Uh, it's Ron Canada is Ron. his name according to IMDb. Uh, so the Ron character basically was saying, yeah, I got to go get it. It's up with the kids. I was jacking off to it up there. Like, that's the implication. And it's not even like a soft implication. It is a very firm implication. He's like, yeah, that's... That I was jerking yeah. off. 
Um, so next scene, this, this scene was one where having never seen this movie as a kid, when it happened, I was like, uh oh, because there's a very similar scene in the movie, weird science that a lot of eighties, you get white kids around black, you know, you try and do the suburban versus city and you get some bad impressions and stuff. And I was ready for that, but not so bad. What happens is apparently famed guitarist, Albert Collins is the person they, they, they end up in a blues club. Albert Collins is playing every, of course, you know, classic, everything stops there. Are these kids, Elizabeth, she was just like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your little concert. We got to go. She's also super condescending. Yeah. I didn't, we didn't mean to interrupt your little concert. And he's yeah. just, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it, I, we, we might be reading that a little different. Cause I, I read it as the like naive suburbanite, not knowing what to do, but it can come off. No, as, referring to it as a little concert is rude. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Like that's just rude. Like if I said, oh, Dre, I love your little things that you do. You'd be like, what, what the fuck's that supposed to be? Oh, Jeff. Be nice. Okay. But. Then we get I, a love fun you, I love your little podcast. And you'd be like, yeah. fuck, man. And if, but anyway, so I was going to say, you brought up in our notes that's a funny thing because he goes, nobody leaves without singing the blues. And then we get actually a pretty enjoyable scene where like, Elizabeth a babysitter blues. Narr narrates what has happened going forward, slowly starts making it rhyme, slowly starts singing it. You know, they're doing the classic, whatever that, I should know the riff, but the da na na yeah, it's the yeah, blues. She's the blue. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, is that just the thing, or is it? You know, I wouldn't be shocked with some from famed whatever musical score that I don't know, uh, like you did with Rodeo. But anyway, that happened. And Five goes west. Listen to the backlog, people. But that that's a very nice scene. Very fun song, fun to watch. Kids get out, and then the villains try and go chase them. And then this is where you have the note. You're like, what happens when people don't sing the blues? I want to know about this club because. The villains, the gangsters go up to him and he says, you don't leave without singing the blues. So like, is this, is he like some kind of like, yeah, this, this has the opportunity pretty to create a paradox because depending on how binary the rule is on nobody leaves here without singing the blues, does that mean that every individual member of the audience has to sing the blues at the end of the concert in order to leave? Um, or are they instructed simply to sing along to the last song? And I could also buy maybe the rule being like, hey, if you're on the stage, because since they're chasing the kids, they get on the stage. And it's like, hey, if you touch the stage, you don't leave without singing the blues. The more terrifying aspect of that, though, that we never see is what did the mob guys do to leave? I want to see the scene where they sing the blues. I don't know like, if they sung the blues or if they took out guns. Oh, it's, are like, they... we're leaving. But either way, it is a problem. There is, there's a bit of space between them and the kids. So there is some level of distraction. Um, but you know, I, I'm my head cannon, Jeff, they sing the blues and I would love to see that scene. Yeah. Uh, something we kind of, it's not just in the synopsis I'm reading over, but it is revealed that basically, um, Mike, Chris's boyfriend is kind of a jerk and has bullied Daryl is basically bullied Daryl, possibly Brad. And they're making fun of him. They're like, ah, oh, he's such a douche. And he drives this car and he has like a vanity license plate that says so cool. So at this point, when they're getting away, um, Brad is trying, and then I think their decision is to head. At this point, I can't remember what they like. They can see their parents' building. When they were coming to town, they noticed it, and at this point, they're kind of like, "We've lost our car. We're being chased. Let's cut our losses. Let's just go find your parents." This is pre-cell phone days, and they don't have money, so they can't do payphones. So that that does make sense. They start heading that way, and at this point, a lot a, a bunch of funny little hijinks ensue, which is one. Brad actually tells. Chris, he's like, yeah, I like you. And she 
laughs at him. Now, a real world story, I'd be really interested to hear, like if Keith ever does show up on Jeff Has Cool Friends, and he has, I did actually research, and he does say this in real life, is that when he was filming the movie with Elizabeth Shue, like at the hotel they were staying, and she's like, hey, want to get dinner? He goes and gets dinner at a fancy place, and he's like, oh, this is almost like a date scenario. And he's like, oh, maybe we could date. And she like laughed at him. And in the movie, the same thing happens when she says, like me, she's like, you, she says, you should date someone other than Mike. She's like, like who? And, and even Sarah's like, don't say it. And he says, like me, and she just laughs. Um, allegedly, like, you know, I, I got to give Keith credit. Like a 17-year-old kid going for a 23 Elizabeth shoe at that time, just full props in the world for him for having that courage. And then apparently it also helped his performance in the movie because his character in the movie, that's a lot of his art. Yeah, being in love with Elizabeth shoe must not have been hard. You know, they're like, okay, well, you have to act like you're in love with Elizabeth Shue. He's like, got it. And they're like, are you sure? He's like, no, I've had it for three years now. Um, but you also got to remember, too, that, like, child stars in the 80s are, they can get away with whatever they want. You know, like, yeah, a lot of they, they had stuff going on where he wasn't doing poorly at the time. Now, yeah. um, it, well, it, that it, happens. Other, I was curious, one other, at, like, hijink that was kind of funny. So at the same time, this actually kind of slightly gets us back on track, but same time, Daryl is like trying to get a date with a prostitute that he doesn't realize. And they're like, she's not, you're not like hitting on someone. It is a prostitute, although he knows, he, he knows. Like at first he's like, I'm going to try and get a date and later. He's like, you wouldn't believe what she would, would do for 20 bucks. And then they go and talk to her. They're like, what are, she's like, what are you doing out here? And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm the babysitter. I'm 17. The prostitute said she's 17. I guess the prostitute, by the way, is actually like the wife of someone and did like choreographies. That's kind of a funny. I think she was the director's wife. Wasn't yeah, it? I think director's wife. So it's just like a funny director likes uh, fun cameos. But she says she's only 17. She goes, what happened? She goes, I ran away from home. They go, she's Brenda. Like, we got Brenda. Yeah, I got to go. And then they're like, then, then that's when Chris is like, let's cut our losses. Let's just go find your parents. Let's just go get Brenda. Let's get the hell out of here. But whatever happened in the blues bar has been resolved. Since then, though, I, I think we we haven't been checking in on Brenda. Yeah, we haven't been checking in on Brenda, which by this time she has lost her glasses. Um, somebody she had put her glasses down, and a homeless woman that was living at the bus station took them. Now she can see. Very exciting for her. I believe now when she's like, "Oh my God, Brenda," that's when we get her. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have this like step. Yeah, yeah. For whatever, and, and a lot of the recaps on this, people just mentioned Brenda at the beginning, but as you mentioned, the B plot driving. We keep checking in on Brenda's in the bus station, seeing she's in overhead. The first time she's there, the thing that actually does convince Chris to come along is there's just this random guy that keeps brandishing a gun in the, the bus station. I've, I've seen three people shooting up, which as a kid, I thought she meant with guns. Yeah, but no, she's um, talking. And that's possible. Now I know that it's heroin. Yeah. yeah. The gun out, maybe a little over top or whatever. There's a guy had. like waving a gun, like stalking Brenda with a gun, and she doesn't go to the authorities at all. There are as as there's a homeless guy that is yelling at her in the phone booth saying, get out of my house. Um, that does imply Brenda does have some money. So she well, she does collect calls. So never mind that's but she could call someone else. Um she, she only has one, a check. Yeah. Because she oh, tried yeah, we'll get to yeah, yeah, yeah. let's let's stop that. She's so, lost she, her she has lost her glasses. glasses. I think the next thing is um the, the two things that happen. One is she tries she smells hot dogs, that's how she gets there. She goes to buy one. Does get a funny, it's like a simple, third party check. Yeah. Yeah. A juvenile thing where she's got a check from Chris that Chris's mom gave her. And she basically, you know, I, I, this is actually a thing I remember, right? Where you'd have a check and you hadn't cashed it and you'd give it to someone else. You'd be like, I have a check for $25 from my mom. I'll sign it over to you. You give me 10 bucks. You go cash the 15, that kind of stuff. Um, 
so that's what's happening. So she says, I want a hot dog. There he goes, okay, you know, whatever, two bucks. She hands him a check and she's like, I'll sign the check over to you. You give me the difference and we're good. No, she, and, I think she even says you keep the difference. Oh, oh yeah. So she's being and nice. He's like, you, make it. you can fuck right off. Which makes sense. And so what he you know, you get the childish joke because he says, you know, you give me the money, you get the wiener. She says, I, I don't have any money. you the wiener, he says. He goes, I don't have a wiener. Ha ha ha. He goes, well, I don't and have then, money. Well, I don't have a wiener. And he throws it in the trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is she thinks she sees a cat and she picks it up and it's just picks a giant up a defenseless rat. little kitten. And they're like, that is a jumbo sewer rat that we're going to kill. Because they say, we're going to kill it. She goes, how dare you kill this defenseless cat? And they're but like, no, that is a, that is a rat. defenseless little kitten like this kitten. They start laughing kitten lady. That's a jumbo sewer rat. And she looks down and it is a big albino rat. So that, that is the state of Brenda. Um, and I, when we get to her at the very end, I got a comment, but I'll, 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 it's okay for plot convenience. So that's the state of Brenda. At this point, the gangsters have caught up to the group again. They're going to try and run off and they run onto the L, L train. Um, and just, and, and this, this is also a good holdup because what happens is they jump the turnstile, get on the train. The gangsters jump the turnstile, just miss the door closing. You would assume the gangsters might have time to catch up, but then the guy there is like, Hey, you pay for those kids. Or, Somebody's you know, got to pay the for them kids or I'm calling the cops. Take care of it. Love it. That That is like spot on what happened. So that that's how the gangsters get distracted. I thought this was really clever on the train because this is this is very like West Side Story. But again, the, the train scene is fantastic and is spoiled by its editing. Oh, OK. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. We talked that a little bit. Because, so basically what happens, they get on the train. They're like, ah, oh, we're safe. And then you see two groups of gangs that are stereotypical, but not to the level of offensiveness of, say, West Side Story. Uh, and I think you knew one. What was the the Hells? There's the Lords of Hell, and I forget who the other guys are, but it's uh, they're, they seem like a multicultural gang, which is nice. <laughs> um, red, red team and black team. That's the easiest That's, way to put it. Yeah, and so they show up, and what, what I loved, what I thought was so clever is they get on, they go, this is our turf. And the other guy goes, well, it's your turf. It's like, our turf starts here. We're on a train. You're yeah. going to be in our turf soon. So you've got these two guys standing. Well, I think it's like, side. this is our train. And then it's like, your train is coming into our turf. So it is beautiful because they're, yeah, they're respecting this line, but you can see the line moving and you know, as soon as he goes, we just crossed. And so they're about to fight. Yeah, we just like, crossed Jefferson. That, I was like, that is, that, that was just really clever. I thought that was, it, was cute. It, it is a great little bit. And then right when they're about to stab each other and like, it seems like the fight is really about to happen. Elizabeth Shue breaks them up and is like, can you please just let us get off like this is uh, before you start killing each other? And, you know, the captain of the red team just goes, bitch, sit down or whatever. Oh, there is a lot of the, the B word yeah. is said a lot in this scene. Yeah. Um, but and, that actually does lead to what happens, because as you're saying, like the the Daryl being like the id, he basically says to Brad, you're going to let him talk to her like that. And it, it's the nice part because they are being rude and crass enough where it's like that isn't cool even then. But the answer is just like, leave it alone. But Brad, got to give it. like, I am valiant. And then Daryl's like, I was kidding, which is yes. so funny. <laughs> he calls him a big city scum sucker. And he goes, you got a big foot. You put, you're going to put that foot in your mouth. And then he just fucking whips the switchblade into his foot through his boot. And shocking. So, holy shit. He goes, don't fuck with the lords of hell. And then Elizabeth Shue goes down, pulls the knife, puts it right at the guy's throat and goes, don't fuck with the babysitter. This is the line of the movie. 
and it was handicapped by Disney putting it on Disney. Don't Plus. fool Better. with the babysitter, Jeff. And by the way, um, if if editor Dre does what I intend to do in the future, this is future me. That is going to be like the tagline that starts it is "Don't fool with the babysitter." So you've heard it, um, and and on top of that too, like they replaced "bitch" with "baby," which, which yeah, also you know slightly condescending instead of being horribly misogynist. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, the 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 replacing the H word makes complete sense. But that being said, when Vincent D'Onofrio, we're going to get to him in a minute, gets really angry, it doesn't make sense. You're like, you called him a weirdo. What's What's this big tough guy? Like if I if I came up and called you a about weirdo, me, kid? Jeff, yeah, if I was like, "Hey, are you a weirdo, Jeff?" You'd just be like, "Who are you?" And you'd walk away. I'd be like, like Gonzo. Yeah, <laughs> when all these gangsters are calling her baby, and he's like, "You gonna let her talk to?" Her? It's like you're, you're like, "Yeah, I mean, it's a little little dated." I mean, are they from the fifties? But yeah. So anyway, but, they get off the train. Brad it, is this, injured. This moves a lot quicker than I remember. By the way. Um, this is back in the golden age of movies where they were rarely over 90 minutes. It was an hour and 40. And that's what's, what's fascinating is this movie moves really quick when it moves fast. And then during the, there are, you know, there's some meandering parts. So it's like, it yeah. is, it is an hour 40 that despite all of this action in it has time to breathe. Yeah. Like they end routine. up, they end up kind of like carrying him into the ER. They're very dramatic about it. He got a knife in his foot and they're carrying him like he was hit by a truck. And they bring him in. They keep calling it a stab wound and everything like that, which in a big city hospital, a stab wound is a real stab wound. And so their suburban outlook on what is a medical emergency, he ends up getting one stitch because that's it. And he, it probably like grazed past his pinky toe or whatever or, or big toe and they're going to stitch it up and it'll be fine. And Brad's well, he even, he even he even he even acknowledges it because yeah. you know it's it's a classic. He he does that 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 is the good part of the scene, right? Because the knife goes through the foot, it probably hurts like the Dickens. Sure, yeah, um, you ever get a paper so, cut. Yeah, I mean, no stitches needed. So, it still feels like hell. So yeah, he he sees that and is like freaking out, and it makes sense. And then when you pull it off, and you're like, that's it, uh, and then he realizes it. So that's the key is he's like, but then the other good piece of news that happens right then is. There was another person that got brought in with a stab wound from a gang fight and they died. And so the doctor hears that. Uh, is the doctor anybody? Like he doesn't show up in the first page of the IMDb, but you know, just a very deadpan keeps saying, oh no. Oh dear. A, yeah. No, he's, no affectation. He's just a great little character. That's for sure. Um, but wow. so he comes out and says, sorry, your friend is dead. They all freak out. And then while this is happening, Pruitt, Pruitt shows up, Day says Pruitt. And he shows up and basically says, I did get your car to the garage. I did. Now this garage is Jeff. I gotta say, like, I wanna, I wanna get my car serviced at Dawson's garage because apparently you bring a car in at like seven, eight at night with a broken windshield and flat tire, and they get it repaired within the yeah. hour. Like, meanwhile, while one of the main employees is in police custody, I mean, and clearly not, your friend because Dawson called him originally to be like, "Hey, man, you got to get home." Like, I saw yeah, it was, and it was on a CB radio. So that's yeah, the so they're one. clearly is, friends, you know, like. Uh, not just employee, uh, employer, employee. So the other people that are at this hospital are the two adult men that were having a fight that, you know, they're being brought in for medical attention. Um, the police have them or whatever. And the guy's like, those guys, were my, they, they're the kids that stole my car. And they're right. He's right about to get them. And then Pruitt just shows up, bashes into the guy. And he's like, I got it. Your car's at Dawson's. I covered the windshield because that's my fault, but I can't afford the 
tire as well. I, I, yeah, I would I would assume the implication was he was going to pay for the tire. He was, and then, yeah. and then, uh oh, his tire budget got destroyed because he because he uh, you know ruined yeah. the windshields. Well, he also has legal fees. He might yeah, have. and all that. Yeah, yeah, and oh, yeah. Well, and then that's also the ending joke because he says it's there. He gets him out of the hospital, so that gets us out of a lot of stuff. That's how Brad gets the free medical treatment on his foot. He's They're also on the lamb now, though. And that's what he says. He's like, gotta go. Cops are after me. And you're like, bye, Pruitt. This guy rocks. Uh, he's the best. I love Pruitt. He at is. this point, they're walking. Sarah says she has to make, which is hilarious. And they wind up at a house party uh, at the University of Chicago. Exactly what we're saying. You go, In Chicago, it is very easy to go from gangs fighting each other to... Um, I'm trying to remember the band. The band is a funny one because they're a real band that had some good stuff in them. They're playing, so they end up at a frat party. Sarah has to go use it. And while that's happening, some of the frat guys recognize Chris as the Playboy centerfold. And then we get Dan, played by George Newbern, who is Superman later. And he comes up and starts hitting on her again. Like you're saying, unfortunately, it falls more on creepy than sweet, but trying to go both levels where he's just like, ah, the the hottest woman at the University of Chicago is a 17-year-old. And you're like, uh... Could have made her 18 just in the script, but is what it is. Yeah, right. Because that's all you have to do. Just one. All you have to do is say she's a she's a senior in high school already. Just call her 18. That's all you need to do, movie, but not what happens. Yeah, I'm looking up who the uh who the band was. Was it Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes? I think that and they have at least one hit that I, I think happens. And then this is also where um David Simpkins, who is the writer of the movie, shows up. Uh, he's one of the the college guys too. So this movie does this movie does a lot of cameos, both for like things that Chris Columbus liked, Thor, as yep. well as like people related with the movie. I would like to add too that this frat party. First off, this frat is filled with. I don't know who's in this frat, but it's clearly a frat house that has Greek letters outside. But there are nerds there. There are quote bow hunks there. Um, but what's really funny is that this frat hired like a band where the lead singer's in their 40s, which is just fascinating to me. That they, I'm like, you, you guys hire, like, do you guys not have like a... Maybe, okay, well, he, here's an easy bit of retcon that doesn't matter. That that didn't hit me, but like, it was, I was like, weird, frat party with a with a, with a live, like, professional banks, or professional band. I'm like, maybe they're like alums. So maybe like alums out of town or something. But anyway. Um, yeah, that's probably yeah. not the case. So anyway, to this, I mean, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do another throwback and it does relate because we're talking Justice League voice actors. You and you and, you and Tom and Tom and Jeff watch Batman. There was a funny episode where Tom's like, I don't understand how Catwoman gets this expensive apartment. And you're just like, that was recent. Yeah. You're like, Tom, have you, have you ever seen a hot woman in the real world? Because at this point, Dan's hitting on Chris Elizabeth Shue and he's like, what's going on? And she tells him the story. He's like, is there anything I can do to help? And she's like, can you just give me $50? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And it's like, yep, and makes complete sense. It's Elizabeth yeah. Shue. Everybody in this movie, whenever Elizabeth Shue has encountered a man in this movie and is like, I am in trouble, can you help? They're all like, absolutely. Yes. Uh, he manages to get her 45, which I think is perfect because we're like, we're not too worried at this point, but it's going to provide a nice little thing there. Yeah. And then Dan also offers to drive them on. Daryl, by the way, at the meantime, has found out that like he's like, making out with a college woman because he actually had the audacity to listen to her like her unlike her boyfriend he does do something great where they're all chugging beer and he's got a he's got, he's a, got a stein full of he's got a stein full of popcorn with a little um bring you know like a, a ching uh bell on it 
which I think like a bike, a bike bell, like a, you know, the, the ring yeah. bells that you would have with your thumb. Yeah. And yeah, and he just pops that, he just pops that all out, you know, that's, and it, he's, Daryl's just so, it, with the exception of the cut line that we mentioned earlier and one scene at the end, he is just the absolute best in this movie. But Dan, you know, Sarah goes to the restroom. They're all good. Dan's offering to drive them to the garage and has given them the money. So we're, we're almost out of it. They get to the garage. I, this was an, I, it's fine. But like, Dan's like, should I? And she's like, it's fine. Go, go. And he leaves. Even with how the character, because like later Dan shows back up. I'll give a spoiler. I don't buy that he would have left, but we kind of need it for plot stuff. So fine. Dan, Dan drives off. And then we get Vincent D'Onofrio himself, who is Mr. Dawson. He comes out holding a, a sledgehammer. Who knows what he's been doing in the shop. And nothing to go do on a Friday night. Yeah. And then he's uh, you know, as a workaholic doing, is what he is. Or maybe he was doing CrossFit in the back, you know, like hitting the, the tires or whatever. Never. Yeah, he also carries a, sl- a small sledgehammer with him. I'm saying maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was working out doing that. But he shows up. Sarah kind of freaks out and is like, oh, it's Thor. It's Thor. It's Thor. And then then we get the funny combo, like Sarah being the imp, as you noted, because Brad's like, it's not Thor. And she's like, don't listen to him. He called you up word and you're like sarah read the route like we need to get the car just spread rumors about me kid out yeah yeah that was whatever but mr dawson's like i'm not giving you the car give me the full 50 dollars. they only have 45 uh i think he's probably just having a night his best friend is is on the lamb he just probably he just lost his tow truck driver probably feeling bad he's like give me my money sarah says now this is where it gets interesting, where, as you noted, Sarah as a, as a Thor fan has seemed kind of off. And we know why, because Thor wasn't originally in the script. And one of the synopsises I've read has basically said that. It's like all of Sarah's Thor knowledge seems to be bad in this movie, which I, I kind of go both ways. She's a little kid, so maybe she just likes yeah. drawing him. But it's but she's smarter like, to pick a character that has a 25-year history instead of somebody who's only been popular for five. Yeah. But she basically says, Thor, you're not yourself. You're missing your hat. Um, your magic, or your, your magic helmet, which doesn't really apply. Although the Blake character in the Thor comics, you know, was basically like cast down to earth by Odin and forgot himself. So that lines up a little. But I would she like to add, her- by the way, that Vincent D'Onofrio was shredded in this, and this was right after he was a dump truck in um, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, he is. Dude's got range. Yeah. So she's like, "Take your helmet, Thor," and he's like, "You're giving me this helmet," and she's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Okay, take the car." Elizabeth Shue being herself was like, well, where do I send the check? And he's just like, get out. He's like, leave. And then he gives that, you know, does the very like uh, old Coca-Cola commercial. Hey, kid. He's like, hey, I already got one. And he, he throws it back to Sarah. Yeah. So we're on our way. We got the car back. We're just going to go pick up Brenda, go home, except Jeff. Funny plot device again. They drive by. And this is just good writing because, again, we were talking his car. They drive by Mike's car at the restaurant Sarah was supposed to go to. So as they're driving by the restaurant. Yeah, like uh, Shay, whatever. Yeah, some Chris, Chris was going to go to. Yeah. Chris drives by it. Um, She's like, great, that's where we were going to go. And Daryl's like, well, looks like still without you. It. So he he takes a look at it and is like, he's there. And so this was like the one thing to me that stood out is I was like, they just park and go in. And I was like, you don't have money. How are you affording parking? Although maybe they cheated and did like valet or something. Not a major issue, but I was questioning it. Because I've been to Chicago and that is one of the sticker shocks when you go to a big city and you go there and you're like, oh, let's go have fun. And we got budget for food. And then you're like, did you factor in the $50 you need to park for the night? Because if you didn't, you're eating at McDonald's instead of the meal you thought you were having. So they As go somebody who got a parking ticket this morning. Oh, I've Jeff, sorry. Are, 
Uh, and that oh. $76 hit that I just took this morning by not getting up in time. Oh, damn it, Jeff. Sorry to hear. Forgot it was uh, Thursday. Appleton, Wisconsin, when I got my first parking ticket, said, damn it, was so upset, walked over. $5, Jeff. That was like... $76 in Los Angeles. Dear God. All right, so they go into the restaurant. They confront uh, Mike about cheating. This is where he basically says, oh, you're dating this little kid. She's like, well, he's nicer. She doesn't say no, but she's like, he's nicer than you. And he's basically like, well, she won't put out. Yeah, and she then locked at the knees. Oh, my God. So good at being smarmy, though. Just so good. Um, yeah. And then what happens after that is Brad does the, when we're talking the id super ego thing, he's like, I would love to punch you, but I'm not going to sink to your level. Daryl says, I will. Kicks him. Kicks him in the Mike. ass like he did to him. Exactly. Or in he the beginning, up. he said, you know, he would. He Because she was like, Mike would never beat you up or whatever. He'd never do that. And he's like, he would. He did. He kicked my ass. You want to see the footprint? Yeah. So yeah, And then so when we come back to him, he kicks him right in the ass and sends him flying into another table. Which is awesome. Apparently, the restaurant is just like, cool, get with it. And then they just let the kid, the Mater D just lets the kids leave. And also lets them in. So, I mean, she says we're looking for someone, but I've, I've been to fancy restaurants. That's even one of the backstories that Keith Coogan has, which is he went into a fancy restaurant with Elizabeth Shue and they're like, you need a jacket and tie. You're not going in. So this is a restaurant where a bunch of kids undressed up, one dressed as Thor went in and we're like, can you let us in? He'd be like, we have a dress code. But anyway, they, they run out. And at this point, though, Sarah, she saw a really fancy toy store and she's just ditched them. She has gone off by herself in the middle of Chicago to look at a fancy closed toy store. Real Home Alone 2 energy there, which is going to come up later because Chris Columbus directs Home Alone 2. So they don't know where he is. The gangsters capture her because they basically they used Joe, who knew they needed their car. So they went and waited at Dawson's garage, followed him captured the kid and now they're going to be able to get everything back if they just asked the kid to look at her backpack this could have all been over um but what is what it is sarah though is able to escape and run to her parents building so they initially go to the toy store and she's not there and then follow her to their parents building there is a cute little thing here which is she was eating some chocolates and so she pushes a button to escape and there's chocolate yeah, fingerprints on two dessert from the the fancy uh from the fancy yep. restaurant little little imp so sorry sorry i combined a bunch there because a bunch happens all at once which is basically the gangsters capture but she runs away and runs to her parents building that's why she's separated from the main group they originally run to the toy store then they go to the parents building next um and so everybody now the gangsters the kids the parents everybody is at the parents building all coming to a head baby and apparently that building has a fun nickname with a diamond. It's also been called the female anatomy building because of the giant diamond on the top, which is hilarious when I was doing research for it. It was built in 84. So it's like really topical for the movie. And very it is new, well, very 80s. And it is most well known for this movie. Sarah is running away from Mr. Canada and she ends up on an incomplete floor, which is having construction done. And she tries to run from him by basically going out the side using a rope which is where we get the iconic image yeah. um, in the movie. And he's just like, God damn it, kid. I would love to add that this guy is, he's supposed to be a villain, this guy, but he's doing a tremendous act of heroism to save this little girl. Like, well, he initially, so he initially tries to pull her up. And, and he he's like, hold on, like, I will save you. Like, he's gone from, we have to get the playboy to, we have to save this girl. He goes on and like nothing about this whole process implies that he's trying to do her harm from here on out. 
He's just trying to save her. Yeah, I find that very interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, what's funny is the the main villain is this really like the smarmy one. Um, I just forgot his name. But the main villain is the one that's like, we're gonna kill the kids, and like his underlings are like, are we really doing it? So it, it seems like this old guy is is leading the charge, and like his employees are like, not gonna kill kids, just just do what he says. Yeah, he's like, keep, go keep, get him. But he also never says he never once says that they're going to kill them either. Like yeah. it's there is the fear of that, obviously, but it is never said. And he, they're really just they just want that playboy back. It'll shut down their whole operation, blah, blah, blah. It's very funny because he ends up looking for her where the parents are having the party. And he is so disturbed that people are talking to him and like the mom who's clearly drunk. Well, she thinks again, oh, this, this, this looking down, she thinks he's the caterer because he's standing next to the table. No, she asks about the caterer. She's like, these are so good. Do you know who the caterer is? And he just goes, the caterer. And then oh, the, sorry, I misread. And I then the dad goes, the no, no. She's asking. She's like, these are so good. Do you know who the caterer was? And he's like, the caterer and then he's like confused and then the dad goes oh didn't mean to spring it on you like this yeah so it's so like the, why are you acting like an asshole right now yeah so the check is sarah tries to get to her parents floor but she goes to the wrong floor which is in, in construction one and she's followed by they realize she's on one of two floors because of the fingerprints one of the gangsters chases her to the floor in the construction she goes out the window to try and escape and he's like god damn it tries to save her the other one ends up at the parents party and then our heroes are a step behind so they all come in Daryl, Brad, Chris come in, see Sarah's cape from her Thor costume, know she's in trouble, are like, where is she? They see it, and they try the same set of steps, but they just end up at the parents' party because they all stay together. Elizabeth Shue puts on a coat to blend in to try and look around, and then while this is going on, like, the cool thing is, is Sarah is- You can see her just fucking yeah, she, dangling yeah. off of the- 37th floor yeah, of the all, all of the characters are looking out the window seeing her while everybody's oblivious second time in the movie this has happened um chris is able to trip the main villain very classic slapstick again by wrapping an extension cord around his foot that he doesn't see so he walks the parents are like oh funniest thing we've seen all night and then we also start getting the chase where they were about to head home and they're like well we can stay out a little later so we're like we're getting the you're gonna have to get home shortly to stop them they go up to the floor to save um yeah. Sarah. They throw more rope down to get him. Well, oh, and, and as you were pointing get out, her. the villain, Ron Canada, because the rope has fallen, he puts the rope down to try and help her. She won't. And so he's trying to go down to get her. And he winds up, basically, they both wind up stuck on the, the ledge together. But they manage to get Sarah up with the rope and he's stuck out there. Yeah. And they're like, ignore him. Don't look at him. And he's like, I need to live, please. And with that that'll come up later. And then and so what happens is Joe Gipp, he's like, He's like, look, just give me the Playboy. I'll give it back and we're all good. And then you can get out of here. And then the mean guy shows up. And he gets the... And oh, he punches. Oh, yeah, we got another one punch knockout. Fuck out. Well, that doesn't he, seem hard, to be 100% honest. Yeah. Joe Gipp looks 27 years old, pretty good shape, against what is essentially Mr. Burns. And he drops this dude so hard where it's like, well, you're going to die, man. They're going to kill you for this. Like you're gonna have to move to Minneapolis. Yeah, he, the he's the way you're gonna be able to do this. But meanwhile, and they're like, "What about him?" And Joe Gipp looks out and goes, "Oh, him. I'll let him sweat it out for a while before I'll get him." There is 
a horrifying implication in the post credit scene here. Because he's it, just out there. In which he's still being left out there, which means Joe just left and is letting this man die. And no one really knows he's there, although maybe if someone from the party looks up. But the other the other thing I will throw at this, which, you know, is kind of interesting, is Chicago is the Windy City. They are super high up. The movie the movie plays it as a sound as a sound stage, but yeah, like it's a, a big gust of wind comes by, a plane comes too close because it's pretty high up. He is gone, so it is interesting that two of the people that have helped out our characters basically at the end of the movie are on the run: one from the cops, one from mobsters. But so the kids have gotten Sarah. We're all good, and let's just go get Brenda. So we're 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 almost yeah. Brenda, they arrive, and Brenda has to run the gauntlet of the people that she's met. Um, she finally got her glasses back. She's running. She's being chased by the glasses thief. She has to run by Captain Gunn as he's like, eh, he's like got his tongue out at her and stuff. And then the get out of my house guy is like yells something at her, I think. And then she escapes the the glasses lady slams on the the phone booth and yells, you're in my house. She get, And so that's why she the good news is she's outside waiting. They manage to just pull up and pick her up. And then we do get like the very Fer Ferris Bueller's Day Off moment where they literally drive by the parents' car, and, and she goes, "How fast are your parents normally drive?" I think they say forty. She's like, "We'll drive 45, 80. Yeah. So she's driving eighty, although forty-five on the highway, but whatever. She's yeah, driving. That's 80. also a problem, right? Yeah. So the parents are like, "Look at that crazy driver!" You know, kids are going to be dealing with that at some point. They get home, you know, quickly, kind of clean up, pretend everything is fine. Parents get home, everything go good. Oh yeah, everything's good. Um, the kids are upstairs all just watching a movie at one point, by the way, um, Halloween was on, which is just, you know, a nice, you know, there are lots of like little Easter eggs, like my favorite monsters in here. There's a gizmo on the thing. There are a lot, you know, the director put lots of little Easter eggs and stuff in, um, the kids are all watching a movie. Babysitter comes up and is just like, Hey, I think I'm done babysitting. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, come by next week. And she's like, ah, I think I'm retired, but you know, just a nice kind of cool down into the night. She goes outside and Dan, handsome Dan, has shown up a little creepy at first, but then you realize he's again, this is another Chekhov's thing, because at one point Sarah says, I left, I lost my roller, roller skate. Can we and go like, back? And and Chris they're, is like, they're, Are you insane? Leave them. Yeah. So Dan has found the roller skates and has decided to deliver them personally. And he knows what he's doing. He's like, Yeah, I'll get I'll get prop points for this. So he shows up with the roller skate that she apparently left at the frat house. They're outside. The kids are like, kiss her. Make he, him, he tries you know. to, he's like, oh, I was hoping to hire a babysitter. And she's like, why? For like your sister? He's like, for me. And <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And that's when um, Sarah yells, kiss her. And then the boom, 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 yeah. boom. And then, and then, then we get a really, I mean, this, this was, because again, we, we have a lot of, I mean, Daryl doesn't really have an arc, but he is chaos. Being and awesome. Watching. Yeah. He's we just joker. Love. Yeah. But, you know, Brad, Brad and um, Brad and Chris in this movie both very much have like the, this is a we've gone on an adventure together and have grown up a little at the end of it. So, you know, at the end of the movie, Brad, we see him like looking out kind of despondent and sad. And then he shuts the window, shuts the blinds. We like zoom in on him. Kind of see acceptance. It doesn't yeah. seem as sad. He's just like he's like, yeah. And then, and, you know, we also get a breakfast club moment where he's like on Monday when when I see you, it's OK, you know seniors don't talk to freshmen and she's like no but i talk to friends so you know he's like he's got a friendship he's gotten to know her more he even says that in the movie at one point he's like before tonight i didn't really know you right it was just objectification got to know you you're pretty cool so accepts that and then 
handsome Dan does go in for the kiss and kiss room, like I said. And if you are a fan, Tom and Jeff watch Batman. You can probably hear Tom and Jeff making fun of Superman in the dopey voice he uses. You can you can do all sorts of stuff there. That would be fun to grab. Over on Tom Game and Jeff Plan watch Unemployed. Batman. Just like some go to Game Plan Employed, grab some episodes, and just like do a recut of that last scene with just like don't tell my secrets kind of stuff. That'd be funny. Yeah. Um. So like wrapping this stuff up, looking back at this, um, critically not not poorly received, very relatively well received. Uh, at the time, I think uh, it's it's like a at a seventy or something like that ratings wise, uh, as far as like reviews go. Um, nominated for two Kids Choice Awards: uh, Best Actress Elizabeth Shue and Best Movie. So Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. It was nominated for nineteen. Those were as far back as nineteen eighty eight or nineteen eighty seven. Yes, sir. Um, Elizabeth Shue uh, tied Molly Ringwald in the Paris Film Festival for Best Actress. So she and Molly Ringwald, who, by the way, Molly Ringwald was supposed to be this character. So it seems like everybody wins in this scenario because Molly Ringwald won for uh, for keeps, I believe, was the movie or they tied uh, at the Paris Film Festival. And obviously only one of those movies has held up, although they both have very similar trajectories in their careers, even to the point of both playing matronly characters in comic book television series with Molly Ringwald being Jughead's mother, I believe, and no, Archie's mother huh. in Except, Riverdale yeah, and Elizabeth Shue being, um, being Elizabeth Shue in the boys. So, um, they've had very similar careers. Uh, also the young artist awards, um, Keith was nominated for best young action and a young actor in a motion picture. You know who he lost to? What do we got? He lost to, Sarah, Maya Bruton, she's the one that won the Young Artist Award. So he lost to his own much oh. younger co-star. I was, and I was also going to laugh. I was looking at the uh, Kids' Choice Awards, and Elizabeth Shue lost to Whoopi Goldberg. And you, you thought Whoopi Goldberg should have been in this movie. So there you go, Jeff. I mean, I didn't think that. I just said that they look alike. Oh, I, I heard Jeff saying they looked alike. And if you were going to do a remake, you could do well, Guinan. They as, have as very, the they have very similar uh, traits beyond the obvious one. You know, like their voices are very similar. Their hairstyles are very similar. He's got those like braids that you've seen her in. Um, and then uh, also the movie was nominated um, for Best Family Motion Picture. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, it's it's one of those interesting because we, we talked the flip side. There is Searching for Bobby Fisher was fine, right? Old movie system, it made its money, but it wasn't Niche. a hit and it's it's forgotten. It's forgotten to time. And then, of course, you also have these like, movies from this period of time that are did fine made their budget everybody got paid but are forgotten and this is that like sweet spot of like wasn't a wasn't a mega hit right didn't make 100 million but it made 30 million so successful movie but then also managed to stick around in the zeitgeist i have not done any watching or researching but you know they tried to do a re reboot right disney you, you've got to reboot all the old ip did eventually do an attempt i think in 2016 or 2017 with adventures and babysitting a movie and they were going to try and do a tv show as well as we are finding out lately on they streaming did try platforms, eighty nine, yeah. But we're finding out on platforms that like they don't know how to show run, and they're like rediscovering TV from whatever. But yeah, they did that too with Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck had a. T the thing is, is when characters are so ingrained in a television show, when you try to move those characters into TV with different actors, it doesn't really translate. That happened with the Bill and Ted TV show. Like people just don't seem to buy different people playing these characters. It's very and weird. a weird part about like the other 
like first off the different actors, but of course like cartoons being a thing. That was what was interesting to me. A lot of these popular movies that stuck in the zeitgeist, like Back to the Future, which, you know, Elizabeth Shue was in as well, like it had a cartoon. And so I remember like the cartoon being nothing like the movie, but keeping it in my interest as a kid, watching it every Saturday, and then later finding a movie that's got a little older. It's interesting how some of those kind of tied together. Don't really have a cohesive thought, but that was the... Well, I mean, there is there are things to say about that, but one of the main things is like this is... It is a successful cult hit that was motivated very big on the home video market. It's a great family film, uh, a family film that parents could watch and enjoy, which is harder and harder to find um, these days. It is one of those movies that when, when it was released, uh, I think people were clamoring for it on Disney+. Plus. When it came out, they were like, where is it? And they're like, it's coming. I think they had to wait until the contract was and up. And then apparently it came out uncensored initially and people were like, what the it hell? Was. And then it got censored and people were like, what the hell? You just can't, so can't please all the people all the time. What they need to do, what Disney should have done was, and they were doing this for a while because I remember I watched the old Swiss Family Robinson and, and they had the bumper ahead of time, which was like, all right, guys, there's some shit in here that we shouldn't have done. It wasn't okay then, but that's just what it was at the time. And obviously we wouldn't do that now. So please understand that there are going to be some not so great depictions or words being used. These are not endorsed by the company. We're just releasing this art. Yeah. Um, and which is kind of what they did with Adventures in Babysitting. And then people were like, no, you can't do that. Like you can't, I don't want my kid showing up with that. And they're like, we'll do parental locks. And they're like, it's not going to work. That's too much. I mean, it's it's funny. This is a babysitting movie with the thesis of the movie being like parents that don't really care. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just and, and the hijinks that ensue as a result when you're just like, yeah, let's just pay some teenager a couple bucks to watch our kids. Um, parents get lazy where you're you're like, hey, all you have to do is for Disney Plus set up a password. And they're like, well, my kid's going to get upset that they can't watch the thing. I don't want to do that. deal like, with that. You fix my problem. Yeah. Which, you know, I get it. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, this is a movie that I have seen a lot. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, I watched it twice in the last 12 hours. Uh, I, I did the same cause I watched the censored and then this, this is such a nerd comic guy thing, Jeff. Cause when I was reading up on it and they're like Disney plus cut out 10 seconds of footage. And I was like, got to see that extra 10 seconds footage, pay for the special edition. Three ninety nine. <laughs> let's do it. But Absolutely it is. Worth it. It is great. Um, it is one of those movies that I absolutely see. And obviously, if you if you if you are somebody our age, and like I've shown it to people as an adult, it holds up, which is movie, shocking. Well, like this was great. How did I miss this growing up? That's the biggest thing people say when they see that for the first time. There, it is not divisive. It is not the Goonies, where some people, myself included, are just like, "Why would anybody like this movie?" This movie is widely considered good to great from everybody that sees it. It's a very it's very hard to see people that are like this is a bad movie because it's not. It's just really good. It has held onto the zeitgeist. There was a television series like you said 1989 they tried it. Um there was they actually, tried it they were going to try it again in the 2000s but they or 2010s 2010s or whatever but didn't. Well yeah. and then there was a, a a reboot in 2016 on um Disney Plus that seemed to be pretty well received but it was they changed the format a little bit. It was more kind of babysitter's club energy to it and that the name adventures in babysitting lends you to a series and especially an anthology series 
like a babysitter's club. Well, it even sets it up at the end. You got to come back next week. You got to come back next week. Hey, I think I'm done. Or like, let's see what Jennifer's up to. She's a part of the, the, uh, she's a babysitter. So it's like, it could be like a twilight zone thing where it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around just one person. You could certainly have that, but if it's adventures in babysitting, babysitting is the main character. Yeah. I mean, as an example, one of the biggest kids books, the babysitters club, and you just follow different ones along the way. Works perfectly. Now, Jeff speaking, uh, it turns out my, uh, my wife's station wagons on the way home, Jeff. Uh, we got to wrap. We got to wrap it up. I'm going to have to go 80. So let's start getting to plugs, and I'm going to have some fun interstitials there, and then that can be the show. This was an amazing month. We are going to finish this off, Jeff. Have we decided is it Home Alone one or Home Alone two? I think we should do Home Alone one. Solid, um, because for a couple of reasons, and yeah, spoiler alert. Um, well, that, now off, you know. Thanks for listening to the end. Yes, we're threading Chris Columbus um you he know, does both by the way as an fyi he does one and two. He, he does sure um you know we tend to do we do do sequels a lot so dre i would leave it up to you or we can leave it up to the audience i'm gonna say this ty goes to home alone one if there is not enough interest but let, let's we'll put up a poll or something maybe maybe yeah. the end of this when it comes if out, only like you. eight people listen or vote then i'll be like all right we're just gonna make our decision but if there's we're, we're, think, we're, 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 we're saying let's go for Home Alone 1, but I, we'll see. You know why I think actually, I think, I think I'm going to endorse Home Alone 2. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and I'm <laughs> going to endorse Home Alone 2. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is the movies that made us did Home Alone 1. All right. Let, let's, uh, we, we will plan oh. on that. And, and if you've got a, this is like an essay win. So if you've got a strong answer when this comes out. Speaking of that, Jeff, I'm going to do my one plug for you before we get to the end, which is as follows. And it's, it's some funny news being learned. For those that don't know, Jeff has I Must Break You, which he does on his YouTube channel. He does Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time pretty regularly. And we might even try and set up a case, Jeff, where if you can't do it regularly, we'll just get stuff out there because you have so much fun doing it. And a lot of your fans, myself included, have sent you stuff. But if you would also like to help that show, you can go to Burbank Sports Cards, which is Jeff's local card shop, and you can buy Jeff gift cards. Now, a lesson we learned, if you buy Jeff a gift card, what you can do, and here's what I recommend because it's extra funny, buy a, a physical gift card and deliver it to the store and leave it under a silly name. Make Jeff have to go into Burbank Sports Cards and you'll be like, hi, I've got a $25 gift card for Ben over, over here. My name. You can just leave you it can, under my name. Jeff says leave it under his name. Dre says the 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 it here is saying leave it under a silly name. But you can go to Burbank Sports Cards, order Jeff gift card. Go with physical is what I'm saying. Do not do digital. You can have those sent straight to the store, and Jeff can pick them up. That is an easy way to help promote because that means Jeff can buy more supplies from us. Break you, and I'll leave the last tie in there and then let you go, Jeff. One of Jeff's Patreon tiers, he sends out actual cards that he has broken. So basically, do, it's a nice yeah. circle of life. I you can't can hold either. on to these cards. I will go crazy if I end up starting to amass a collection of trading cards, so which I already have started to do. Yeah. I have to get rid of these things. You can send Jeff a gift card. To, you can send Burbank Sports Cards a card under Jeff's name, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May, sign up for the Two-Face tier or the Mad Producer tier, basically, whatever that one's called, and actually help support Jeff's breaking. That's it. And Jeff, you, that, is, that is the tip of the iceberg on stuff that you do. I do do a lot of stuff. Obviously, Jeff has cool friends. The Dan Larson episode just dropped two days ago. So Tuesday was Dan Larson. Yesterday, Jeff's birthday. Today, nerd. So a big week 
for the nerds um, out here. So that's very exciting for all of us um, to involve ourselves in. So uh, definitely please check that out. Uh, you can get it for free or you can get early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content over at patreon.com slash Jeff May, J-E-F-F-M-A-Y, one word. For Again, you get uh, early access to uncensored episodes. Plus you get early access to uh, this show. You get this show uh, about 12 hours earlier. Um, and on top of that, you can get Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl. Uh, that's a monthly show. That's a Patreon exclusive. And yeah, you can get stuff in the mail. I do a lot of stuff with Adam Todd Brown on you don't even like this network, such as you don't even like this show. You don't even like sports. And our sports card breaking show, you don't even like sports cards. And the Andre Agassi season of You Don't Even Like Sports just dropped. Amazing. You got to listen to it if you're not. Yes, we did. We did just drop that. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a little while till the next one drops because I'm disappearing. I am currently disappeared. Um, as you are listening to this, I I opened my laptop uh, in whatever location I'm in to upload this show. And then bye. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, come check that out. And then of course, Gamefully Unemployed, Tom and Jeff watch Batman, uh, is at the game is on the Gamefully Unemployed Patreon. And, uh, my YouTube is at Hey There Jeffro, as well as all of my, um, socials, H-E-Y-T-H-E-R-E-J-E-F-F-R-O. Um, if you were thinking about my birthday, if you're thinking, Hey, what can I do for your birthday? All I want is for you to do some very free shit, which is. Subscribe on YouTube, notifications, comments, reviews on whatever platform you're doing this. Uh, if you want to go to Apple, like, I don't think you guys understand how important a free review is of a show. Um, but all I want for you to do is do those free things. I do like little charity drives on social media and stuff. You don't have to give to that. All I want for my birthday is for you to just do, do some free shit. Subscribe to the YouTube, watch the videos, comment on them, find the podcasts, uh, subscribe to them there, leave a review. That catapults podcasts. If you can get Jeff, if you can get Jeff to 500 subscribers on YouTube, that would be a great birthday present. If collectively that's what you all want to do, I would love that. You can also check me out live at Blast from the Past on Magnolia in beautiful Burbank, California, the second Friday of every month. That's right. October 13th just happened last week. So November 10th is going to be the next mint on card. And uh, you might have you might know this, but previous guest of the show or not of this show, but um, my all the shows of Ugg Fine and all the other shows. Kim Crawl is going to be on the show. Yeah. Kim Crawl has guested on this show, multiple shows on the unpopular opinion. Now, you don't even like this network guested on Jeff has cool friends. If you do not subscribe to Jeff's Patreon, the Ugg Fine show is absolutely worth it. Either Kim Crawl's Patreon or Jeff's Patreon has that. Jeff, I think that's everything. I'm going to have to run out the door. So any other comments and I'll lead us off with that. Not much. Just, you know, pay homage to your, your favorite superhero slash garage owner. Love it. Have a good night. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to Nerd. If you want to help keep the podcast growing, it's definitely worth your while to head over to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May. And also you'll get bonuses and early access to cool stuff. Cool stuff like videos of Jeff showing off awesome collectibles and doing pack breaking videos. It'd be worth your while to check out Jeff May's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash at Hey There Jeffro. That's spelled J-E-F-F-R-O. And shocker, 
That is also his Twitter and Instagram account as well. So follow Jeff everywhere. You can find me most places on the internet as at nerdnumbers. Also, shout out to Chris Haugen for the outro theme of Pure Magic. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with another nerdy subject soon.